Chapter Seventeen of Is He Popinjoy? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Is He Popinjoy by Anthony Trollope? Chapter Seventeen: The Disabilities. It had been arranged that on Friday evening Lady George should call for Aunt Jew in Green Street, and that they should go together to the Institute in the Marylebone Road the real and full name of the college as some ladies delighted to call it was though somewhat lengthy placarded in big letters on a long black board on the front of the building and was as follows rights of women institute established for the relief of the disabilities of females by friendly tongues to friendly ears the college or the institute was the pleasant name used but the irreverent public was apt to speak of the building generally as the female disabilities and the title was made even shorter omnibuses were desired to stop at the disabilities and it had become notorious that it was just a mile from king's cross to the disabilities there had been serious thoughts among those who were dominant in the institute of taking down the big board and dropping the word but then a change of a name implies such a confession of failure it had on the whole been thought better to maintain the courage of the opinion which had first made the mistake so you're going to the disabilities are you mrs houghton had said to lady george i'm to be taken by old miss mildmay oh yes aunt you is a sort of first-class priestess among them don't let them bind you over to belong to them don't go in for it lady george had declared it to be very improbable that she should go in for it but had adhered to her determination of visiting the institute she called in green street fearing that she should see gus mildmay whom she had determined to keep at arm's distance as well as her friendship with mrs houghton would permit but aunt ju was ready for her in the passage i forgot to tell you that we ought to be a little early as i had to take the chair i dare say we shall do very well she added if the man drives fast but the thing is so important one doesn't like to be flurried when one gets up to make the preliminary address the only public meetings at which mary had ever been present had appertained to certain lectures at brotherton at which her father or some other clerical dignity had presided and she could not as yet understand that such a duty should be performed by a woman she muttered something expressing a hope that all would go right i've got to introduce the baroness you know introduce the baroness the baroness ben man haven't you seen the bill of the evening the baroness is going to address the meeting on the propriety of patronizing female artists especially in regard to architecture a combined college of female architects is to be established in posen and chicago and why should we not have a branch in london which is the centre of the world would a woman have to build a house asked lady george she would draw the plans and devise the proportions and and do the aesthetic part of it an architect doesn't carry bricks on his back my dear but he walks over planks i suppose and so could i walk over a plank why not as well as a man but you will hear what the baroness says the worst is that i'm a little afraid of her english she's a foreigner of course how will she manage her english is perfect but i'm afraid of her pronunciation however we shall see they had now arrived at the building and lady george followed the old lady in with the crowd but when once inside the door they turned to a small passage on the left which conducted those in authority to the august room preparatory to the platform
It is here that bashful speakers try to remember their first sentences, and that lecturers proud of their prominence receive the homage of the officers of the Institute. Aunt Ju, who on this occasion was second in glory, made her way in among the crowd and welcomed the baroness who had just arrived. The baroness was a very stout woman, about fifty, with a double chin, a considerable moustache, a low broad forehead, and bright round black eyes very far apart. When introduced to Lady George, she declared that she had great honour in accepting the recognition. She had a stout roll of paper in her hand, and was dressed in a black stuffed gown, with a cloth jacket buttoned up to neck, which hardly gave to her copious bust that appearance of manly firmness, which the occasion almost required. But the viral collars budding over it perhaps supplied what was wanting. Lady George looked at her to see if she was trembling. How, thought Lady George, would it have been with herself if she had been called upon to address a French audience in French? But as far as she could judge from experience, the baroness was quite at her ease. Then she was introduced by Aunt Ju to Lady Selenia Protest, who was a very little woman with spectacles of a most severe aspect. "'I hope, Lady George, that you mean to put your shoulder to the wheel,' said Lady Selina. "'I am only here as a stranger,' said Lady George. Lady Selina did not believe in strangers, and passed on very severely. There was no time for further ceremonies, as a ball-headed old gentleman, who seemed to act as chief usher, informed Aunt Ju that it was time for her to take the baroness on to the platform. Aunt Ju led the way, puffing a little, for she had been somewhat hurried on the stairs, and was not as yet quite used to the thing, but still with a proudly prominent step. The baroness waddled after her, apparently quite indifferent to the occasion. Then followed Lady Selina and Lady George, the ball had a gentleman telling her where to place herself. She had never been on a platform before, and it seemed as though the crowd of people below was looking specially at her. As she sat down at the right hand of the baroness, who was of course at the right hand of the chairwoman, the ball-headed gentleman introduced her to her other neighbor, Miss Dr. Olivia Q. Fleabody, from Vermont. There was so much of the name, and it all sounded so strange to the ears of Lady George, that she could remember very little of it. But she was conscious that her new acquaintance was a miss and a doctor. She looked timidly round, and saw what would have been a pretty face, had it not been marred by a pinched look of studious severity, and a pair of glass spectacles of which the glasses shone in a disagreeable manner. There are spectacles which are so much more spectacles than other spectacles, that they make the beholder feel that there is before him a pair of spectacles carrying a face, rather than a face carrying a pair of spectacles. So it was with the spectacles of Olivia Q. Fleabody. She was very thin, and the jacket and collars were quite successful. Sitting in the front row she displayed her feet, and it may also be said her trousers, for the tunic which she wore came down hardly below the knees. Lady George's inquiring mind instantly began to ask itself what the lady had done with her petticoats. "'This is a great occasion,' said Dr. Fleabody, speaking almost out loud and with a very strong nasal twang. Lady George looked at the chair before she answered, feeling that she would not dare speak a word if Aunt Ju were already on her legs. But Aunt Ju was taking advantage of the commotion which was still going on among those who were looking for seats to get her breath and therefore she could whisper a reply. I suppose it is, she said. 
if it were not that I have wedded myself in a peculiar manner to the prophylactic and therapeutic sciences, I would certainly now put my foot down firmly in the cause of architecture. I hope to have an opportunity of saying a few words on the subject myself before this interesting session shall have closed. Lady George looked at her again and thought that this enthusiastic hybrid who was addressing her could not be more than twenty-four years old. But Aunt Ju was soon on her legs. It did not seem to Lady George that Aunt Ju enjoyed the moment now that it was come. She looked hot and puffed once or twice before she spoke. But she had studied her few words so long, and had made so sure of them, that she could not go very far wrong. She assured her audience that the Baroness Bandman, whose name had only to be mentioned to be honored both throughout Europe and America, had, at great personal inconvenience, come all the way from Bavaria to give them the advantage of her vast experience on the present occasion. Like a good chairwoman, she took none of the bread out of the Baroness's mouth, as we have occasionally known it to be done on such occasions, but confined herself to ecstatic praises of the German lady. All these the Baroness bore without a quiver, and when Aunt Ju sat down she stepped on to the rostrum of the evening amidst the plaudits of the room, with a confidence which to Lady George was miraculous. Then Aunt Ju took her seat, and was able for the next hour and a half to occupy her armchair with gratifying faineant dignity. The Baroness, to tell the truth, waddled rather than stepped to the rostrum. She swung herself heavily about as she went sideways, but it was manifest to all eyes that she was not in the least ashamed of her waddling. She undid her manuscript on the desk, and flattened it down all over with her great fat hand, rolling her head about as she looked around, and then gave a grunt before she began. During this time the audience was applauding her loudly, and it was evident that she did not intend to lose a breath of their incense by any hurry on her own part. At last the voices and the hands and the feet were silent. Then she gave a last roll to her head and a last pat to the papers, and began. To manifest inferiority of the tyrant's sakes. Those first words, spoken in a very loud voice, came clearly home to Lady George's ear, though they were uttered with a most un-English accent. The Baroness paused before she completed her first sentence, and then there was renewed applause. Lady George could remark that the ball-headed old gentleman behind and a cadaverous youth who was near to him were particularly energetic in stamping on the ground. Indeed, it seemed that the men were specially charmed with this commencement of the Baroness's oration. It was so good that she repeated it with perhaps even a louder shout. De manifest inferiority of the tyrant's sakes. Lady George, with considerable trouble, was able to follow the first sentence or two, which went to assert that the inferiority of man to woman in all work was quite as conspicuous as his rapacity and tyranny in taking to himself all the wages. The Baroness, though addressing a mixed audience, seemed to have no hesitation in speaking of man generally as a foul worm who ought to be put down and kept under, and merely allowed to be the father of children. But after a minute or two, Lady George found that she could not understand two words consecutively, although she was close to the lecturer. The Baroness, as she became heated, threw out her words quicker and more quickly, till it became almost impossible to know in what language they were spoken. By degrees our friend became aware that the subject of architecture had been reached, 
and then she caught a word or two as the baroness declared that the science was adapted only to the aesthetic and comprehensive intelligence of the female mind but the audience applauded throughout as though every word reached them and when from time to time the baroness wiped her brows with a very large handkerchief they shook the building with their appreciation of her energy then came a loud rolling sentence with the old words as an audible termination the manifest inferiority of the tyrant sinks as she said this she waved her handkerchief in the air and almost threw herself over the desk she is very great to-night very great indeed whispered miss dr olivia q fleabody to lady george lady george was afraid to ask her neighbor whether she understood one word out of ten that were being spoken great as the baroness was lady george became very tired of it all the chair was hard and the room was full of dust and she could not get up it was worse than the longest and the worst sermon she had ever heard it seemed to her at last that there was no reason why the baroness should not go on forever the woman liked it and the people applauded her the poor victim had made up her mind that there was no hope of a cessation and in doing so was very nearly asleep when on a sudden the baroness had finished and had thrown herself violently back into her chair baroness believe me said dr fleabody stretching across lady george it is the greatest treat i have ever had in my life the baroness hardly condescended to answer the compliment she was at this moment so great a woman at this moment so immeasurably the greatest human being at any rate in london that it did not become her to acknowledge single compliments she had worked hard and was very hot but still she had sufficient presence of mind to remember her demeanour when the tumult was a little subsided lady selina protest got up to move a vote of thanks she was sitting on the left-hand side of the chair and rose so silently that lady george had at first thought that the affair was all over and that they might go away alas alas there was more to be borne yet lady selina spoke with a clear but low voice and though she was quite audible an earl's sister did not evoke any enthusiasm she declared that the thanks of every woman in england were due to the baroness for her exertions and of every man who wished to be regarded as the friend of woman but lady selina was very quiet making no gestures and was indeed somewhat flat when she sat down no notice whatever was taken of her then very quickly before lady george had time to look about her the doctor was on her feet it was her task to second the votes of thanks but she was far too experienced an occupant of platforms to waste her precious occasion simply on so poor a task she began by declaring that never in her life had a duty been assigned to her more so humanitarian and at the same time so essentially a female as the baroness bandman lady george who knew nothing about speaking felt at once that here was a speaker who could at any rate make herself audible and intelligible then the doctor broke away into the general subject with special allusions to the special matter of female architecture and went on for twenty minutes without dropping a word there was a moment in which she had almost made lady george think that women ought to build houses her dislike to the american twang had vanished and she was almost sorry when miss dr fleabody resumed her seat but it was after that after the baroness had occupied another ten minutes in thanking the british public for the thanks that had been given to herself that the supreme emotion of the evening came to lady george again she had thought when the baroness a second time rolled back to her chair that the time for departure had come 
Many in the hall, indeed, were already going, and she could not quite understand why no one on the platform had as yet moved. Then came that ball-headed old gentleman to her, to her very self, and suggested to her that she, she, Lady George Germain, who the other day was Mary Lovelace, the Brotherton girl, should stand up and make a speech. There is to be a vote of thanks to Miss Mildmay as chairwoman, said the ball-headed old man, and we hope, Lady George, that you will favor us with a few words. Her heart utterly gave way, and the blood flew into her cheeks, and she thoroughly repented of having come to this dreadful place. She knew that she could not do it, though the world were to depend on it, but she did not know whether the bald-headed old gentleman might not have the right of insisting on it. And then all the people were looking at her, as the horrible old man was pressing his request over her shoulder. Oh, she said, no, I can't. Pray don't. Indeed, I can't, and I won't. The idea had come upon her that it was necessary that she should be very absolute. The old man m retired meekly, and himself made the speech in honor of Aunt Ju. As they were going away, Lady George found that she was to have the honor of conveying the baroness to her lodgings in Conduit Street. This was all very well, as there was room for three in the brougham, and she was not ill-pleased to hear the ecstasies of Aunt Ju about the lecture. Aunt Ju declared that she had agreed with every word that had been uttered. Aunt Ju thought that the cause was flourishing. Aunt Ju was of opinion that women in England would before long be able to sit in Parliament and practice in the law courts. Aunt Ju was thoroughly in earnest. But the Baroness had expended her energy in the lecture, and was more inclined to talk about persons. Lady George was surprised to hear her say that this young man was a very handsome young man and that old man a very nice old man she was almost in love with mr spuffin the ball-headed gentleman usher and when she was particular in asking whether mr spuffin was married lady george could hardly think that this was the woman who had been so eloquent on the inferiority of the tyrant's sakes but it was not till aunt ju had been dropped in green street and the conversation fell upon lady george herself that the difficulty began you no speak asked the baroness what in public not for the world you wrong dear nothing so easy say just as you please only say it very loud and always abuse somebody or something you should try i would sooner die said lady george indeed i should be dead before i could utter a word isn't it odd how that lady doctor could speak like that the american young woman they have deputants of 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 everything you please but it come to nothing but she spoke well dear me no nothing at all there was nothing but words 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 thank you here i am mind you come again and you shall learn to speak lady george as she was driven home was lost in her inability to understand it all she had thought that the doctor spoke the best of all and now she was told that it was nothing she did not yet understand that even people so great as female orators so nobly humanitarian as the baroness Bandman can be jealous of the greatness of others. End of chapter 17